Section 25 of Mark Twain in the New York Times, Part 1, 1867 to 1879. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain in the New York Times, Part 1, Section 25, December 20, 1877. Twain at the Whittier Dinner. Read by John Greenman. Twain at the Whittier Dinner. His first and only attempt to travel on his nom de plume, the extraordinary guests an old miner had. The Boston Advertiser gives the following report of the remarks of Mr. Samuel L. Clemens at the banquet given in honor of Mr. John G. Whittier in that city on Monday evening. Mr. Chairman, this is an occasion peculiarly meet for the digging up of pleasant reminiscences concerning literary folk. Therefore, I will drop lightly into history myself. Standing here on the shore of the Atlantic, and contemplating certain of its biggest literary billows, I am reminded of a thing which happened to me fifteen years ago, when I had just succeeded in stirring up a little Nevadian literary ocean puddle whose spoon flakes were beginning to blow thinly Californiaward. I started an inspection tramp through the southern mines of California. I was callow and conceited, and I resolved to try the virtue of my nom de plume. I very soon had an opportunity. I knocked at a miner's lonely log cabin in the foothills of the Sierras just at nightfall. It was snowing at the time. A jaded, melancholy man of fifty, barefooted, opened to me. When he heard my nom de plume, he looked more dejected than before. He let me in, pretty reluctantly, I thought, and after the customary bacon and beans, black coffee and a hot whiskey, I took a pipe. This sorrowful man had not said three words up to this time. Now he spoke up and said, in the voice of one who is secretly suffering, You're the fourth. I'm going to move. The fourth what? said I the fourth literary man that's been here in twenty-four hours. I'm going to move. You don't tell me, said I. Who were the others? Mr. Longfellow, Mr. Emerson, and Mr. Oliver Wendell Holmes. Dad fetched the lot. You can easily believe I was interested. I supplicated. Three hot whiskies did the rest. And finally, the melancholy miner began. Said he, They came here just at dark yesterday, and I let them in, of course. Said they were going to Yosemite. They were a rough lot, but that's nothing. Everybody looks rough that travels afoot. Mr. Emerson was a seedy little bit of a chap, red-headed. Mr. Holmes was as fat as a balloon. He weighed as much as three hundred, and had double chins all the way down to his stomach. Mr. Longfellow was built like a 
prize-fighter. His head was cropped and bristly, like as if he had a wig made of hairbrushes. His nose lay straight down his face, like a finger with the end joint tilted up. They had been drinking, I could see that, and what a queer talk they used. Mr. Holmes inspected this cabin, then he took me by the buttonhole, and says he, Through the deep caves of thought I hear a voice that sings, Build thee more stately mansions, O my soul. Says I, I can't afford it, Mr. Holmes, and moreover I don't want to. Plained if I liked it pretty well either, coming from a stranger that way. However, I started to get out my bacon and beans, when Mr. Emerson came and looked on a while, and then he takes me aside by the buttonhole and says, Give me agates for my meat, give me cantharides to eat, from air and ocean bring me foods from all zones and altitudes. Says I, Mr. Emerson, if you'll excuse me, this ain't no hotel. You see it sort of riled me. I wasn't used to the ways of literary swells. But I went on a-sweatin' over my work, and next comes Mr. Longfellow, and buttonholes me, and interrupts me, and says he, Honor be to Mudgekewis. You shall hear how pow Puckkewis. But I broke in, and says I, Begging your pardon, Mr. Longfellow, if you'll be so kind as to hold your yacht for about five minutes and let me get this grub ready, you'll do me proud. Well, sir, after they'd filled up, I set out the jug. Mr. Holmes looks at it, and then fires up all of a sudden and yells, Flush out a stream of blood-red wine, for I would drink to other days. By George, I was getting kind of worked up. I don't deny it. I was getting kind of worked up. I turns to Mr. Holmes, says I, Looky here, my fat friend, I'm a-running this shanty, and if the court knows herself, you'll take whiskey straight or you'll go dry. Them's the very words I said to him. Now, I didn't want to sass such famous literary people, but you see, they kind of forced me. There ain't nothing unreasonable about me. I don't mind a passel of guests uh, treading on my tail three or four times, but when it comes to standing on it, it's different. And if the court knows herself, you'll take whiskey straight, or you'll go dry. Well, between drinks, they'd swell around the cabin and strike attitudes and spout, says Mr. Longfellow. This is the forest primeval, says Mr. Emerson. Here once the embattled farmers stood and fired the shot heard round the world, says I. Oh, blackguard the premises as much as you want to. It don't cost you a cent. Well, they went on drinking, and pretty soon they got out a greasy old deck and went to playing cutthroat euchre at ten cents a corner, on trust. I began to notice some pretty suspicious things. Mr. Emerson dealt, looked at his hand, shook his head, says, I am the doubter and the doubt, and calmly bunched the hands and went to shuffling for a new layout. Says he, 
they reckon ill who leave me out they know not well the subtle ways i keep i pass and deal again hanged if he didn't go ahead and do it too oh he was a cool one well in about a minute things were running pretty tight but of a sudden i see by mr emerson's eye that he judged he had em he had already corralled two tricks and each of the others won so now he kind of lifts a little in his chair and says i tire of globes and aces too long the game is played and down he fetched a right bower mr longfellow smiles as sweet as pie and says thanks thanks to thee my worthy friend for the lesson thou hast taught and dog my cats if he didn't down with another right bower well sir up jumps holmes a war-whooping as usual and says god help them if the tempest swings the pine against the palm and i wish i may go to grass if he didn't swoop down with another right bower emerson claps his hand on his bowie longfellow claps his on his revolver and i went under a bunk there was gong to be trouble but that monstrous holmes rose up wobbling his double chins and says he order gentlemen the first man that draws i'll lay down on him and smother him all quiet on the potomac you betcha they were pretty how come you so now and they began to blow emerson says the bulliest thing i ever wrote was barbara fritchie says longfellow i don't begin with my biglow papers says holmes my thanatopsis lays over em both they might near ended in a fight then they wished they'd some more company and mr emerson pointed at me and says is yonder squalid peasant all that this proud nursery could breed he was a wetting his bowie on his foot so i let it pass well sir next they took it into their heads that they would like some music so they made me stand up and sing when johnny comes marching home till i dropped at thirteen minutes past four this morning that's what i've been through my friend when i woke at seven they were leaving thank goodness and mr longfellow had my only boots on and his own under his arm says i hold on there evangeline what are you going to do with them he says going to make tracks with em because lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints in the sands of time as i said mr twain you are the fourth in twenty-four hours and i'm a-going to move i ain't suited to a literary atmosphere i said to the miner why my dear sir these were not the gracious singers to whom we and the world pay homage these were impostors the miner investigated me with a calm eye for a while then said he ah impostors were they are you i did not pursue the subject and since then i haven't traveled on my nom de plume enough to hurt such was the reminiscence i was moved to contribute mr chairman in my enthusiasm i may have exaggerated the details a little 
but you will easily forgive me that fault, since I believe it is the first time I have ever deflected from the perpendicular fact on an occasion like this. End of section 25, December 20th, 1877, Twain at the Whittier Dinner, read by John Greenman.